uh, good to be uh, back up here again, being able to share with you. I appreciate it, Emery. Uh, your message last week was convicting and uncomfortable, so uh, that's usually a good sign. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> always feels better to do the convicting, doesn't it? Isn't that uh, how I felt last week? But thank you for, for that message that you brought us on New Year's Day. Um, and we are going to kick off a, a new sermon series uh, called Word to the Wise. We're going to take some time to look at some of the main themes of the book of Proverbs and unpack some of what wisdom means for us. Though, of course, the book of Proverbs and the Jewish tradition and even our tradition aren't the only ones that have some type of, of Proverbs. There, there's cultures all across the world, all through human history, that have had these wise sayings. And my family and I like to play a game called Wise and Otherwise. And it's an interesting game, and, and it's almost like Balderdash. What you have is you, you read out the first half of a, a saying from a, from a different culture, and, and then you have to fill in the blank, finish it how you think it should be finished. And then, and then there, you have to guess which one is the right one, and if other people guess yours, then you get some points for it. And, and it leads to a number of different interesting sayings, some of which I don't think maybe are, are wise, but they certainly are worth sharing. For example, there's an old Arabic saying, one man's beard burns, and another says, let me light my cigarette from it. Wise and otherwise. There's an old Swiss saying, the tongue is the worst piece of meat in the world. Yeah, I've never had tongue before. There's an old Russian saying. Well, the Russian ones are usually some of my favorite. If you have no bread, drink wine. That's how you get through winter, right? There's an old Zulu saying, he who lives longest has the most old clothes. <laughs> and that, that one is particularly true. And another Russian saying that caught my attention, the last one I'll share this morning, I will have trousers, but I don't know when. I will have trousers, but I don't know when. So I'm not sure what context that one would come up. But there are all sorts of these wise or maybe otherwise sayings. And it brings to mind the question, what does it mean to be wise? What's really wise? Where does this wisdom come from? And what difference does wisdom make in our lives? And I think these are all questions that Proverbs is interested in helping us answer. The book of Proverbs is deeply interested not just in these wise sayings, but in the questions of what does it even mean to be wise? Where does wisdom come from? What difference does it make? And so I'm really looking forward to the, the weeks that we're going to spend together, not only learning about wisdom, but also answering these deep-seated questions. In particular, the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs are focused on the idea of wisdom. They're focused on, on what wisdom really is, not according to this culture or that culture, but according to the one true God. Also, the first nine chapters is interested and focused on, on encouraging us to choose wisdom over folly. So there is this definition of wisdom, and then there is this challenge or this invita invitation or this call to action. What will you choose, wisdom or folly? So with that in mind, let us jump into Proverbs and learn together. And so you don't have to take my word for it, what Proverbs is all about, because the book, thankfully, begins with a bit of a mission statement. I'm going to read for you the first six verses of Proverbs. It's declared to be the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And what is the purpose of this book? To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. 
Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. This is the point or the purpose of the entire book of Proverbs. And really, when we unpack it, we can understand with all the evidence that's given to us, the the book as it stands for us today is likely a compilation, a collection of Proverbs, some that would have been original to Solomon, some that Solomon would have wrote down that I'm sure would have been passed down through the generations of Jewish wisdom, and some later on in the book that are attributed to other sources and authors. It's a collection of wisdom, and it was used to train up young men in Israel in positions of leadership. There's a tremendous focus on young men as the target audience of the book of Proverbs. And if you read it from cover to cover, you would find that to be true. And in addition, we believe that these young men are not just any young men in Israel, but it's often those who are influential, those who are affluent. Uh, The the wealth, when it comes to wealth and riches in, in, in Proverbs, the poor are spoken of, but they are not spoken to. So this seems to be specifically teaching young men who are growing into positions of leadership how to be wise. But of course, the application for that would have been appropriate for anyone in that day. And we'll find, and what excites me about our time together, is that Proverbs is incredibly relevant, incredibly practical to our day, regardless of gender, regardless of status, regardless of ethnicity. There is so much wisdom to be had here. But it's good to know what that initial um, setting would have been. This purpose statement that I read for you also shows and uses one of the literary devices in Proverbs, that of repetition. In this case, it's the repetition of different synonyms for wisdom. And wisdom is that important word. It says to know wisdom. That's the purpose right there in verse 2, to know wisdom. And look at all the different ways that wisdom is now described after that. It is instruction, understanding, wise dealing, prudence, knowledge, discretion, learning, and guidance. And all of these things are are not just used to repeat wisdom to make sure that we know what the theme is. It's also to show us how diverse true wisdom is. It's not just about one concept. All of those other synonyms are ways of looking at wisdom from a a different perspective that shows us the depth of what God-given wisdom is. It is is an incredibly all-engaging term. The Hebrew word most used for wisdom in Proverbs is hakmah. And I love the way David Hubbard describes it in his commentary. He says, Hakma, or wisdom, depicts the combination of observation, obedience, careful planning, prudent conduct, and sensitivity to God's will that Israel's wise treasured and taught. So wisdom is so much more than just knowing stuff. (laughs) It is a holistic term that permeates every aspect of how we live and how we relate to others and how we relate to God. Biblical wisdom is incredibly rich, and it's deep, and it matters in each and every area of our life. When we talk about wisdom, that is what we are talking about. And so the question, after we read this purpose statement at the beginning of Proverbs, would be, how do we tap into this wisdom then? If, if this book is, is so important to, to highlight what wisdom is, if wisdom is so deep and, and all-encompassing that it changes every aspect of our life, how do we get this wisdom? Well, of course, Solomon, as the author of this book, does not leave us hanging. He goes on to say in Proverbs 1.7, and this will be on the screen for you. He says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. 
which means something simple and yet profound. It means that God, the one true God, Yahweh, is the source of true wisdom, not a human endeavor. And this would put Israel at odds with the other surrounding nations. Proverbs is not the only book of, of Jewish wisdom literature that we have. And what was, what was unique to the Jewish uh, wisdom literature was that this was not a human achievement. Wisdom was not something that someone could be wise and they could have this knowledge and they could conjure up or could, they could think of or could discover or achieve on their own all of this wisdom, all of this knowledge. Other nations, other cultures around them would have said that this would be true. But Israel said something different. They said, no, it is the Lord. It is God who is the source of this wisdom. The, the, the word used in Proverbs 1.7 is beginning, but it's not just the beginning. It's this continual source. And I love that word source because it brings to us, I think, helpful ideas in our mind of how God is, is the source of wisdom. So, for example, every river will have a source where it begins and it starts to flow. And we're lucky enough that one of the, the largest rivers in the world, most significant rivers in the world, has its source very close to here. And that's the Mississippi River. You can go just down to Bemidji in Minnesota, not too far from here, and you can see where this river begins. Of course, when I think of the Mississippi, I think of Huckleberry Finn. I think of the Deep South and how it's a huge, wide uh, uh, river that, that flows and is incredibly powerful. It's massive. But at its beginning, at its source, it's actually quite small insignificant. I remember going to visit the source of the Mississippi with my family when I was a kid, and we wanted to cross the Mississippi River. We're going to like jump over it because it was that small at the beginning. And then my brother slipped on a rock and he fell in. So we always tell people he fell into the Mississippi River, which, which obviously sounds something like something quite different than what actually happened. The source was small. And yet from that source, it flows and it flows and it flows. And then downstream, it becomes this huge, mighty, all-important river. It's powerful. And that's because the source might begin small, but it constantly flows, constantly gives water to the river. That's the mindset. That's the idea or the image that we can keep in mind when we talk about the Lord being the source of wisdom. God gives wisdom. It flows from him and to us. And Solomon would have been uniquely aware of this. It's part of his story. If you go to 1 Kings chapter 3, we see that, that the Lord asks Solomon for what he wants. And, and then, well, I'll just read it for you. 1 Kings 3, picking up in verse 3. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. This was not a good thing. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to, my, to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on my throne this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child and I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? So out of all the things he could have asked for, Solomon asked for wisdom. And it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and you have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, 
I now do according to what to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. So Solomon's experience as this newly minted king was to ask God for wisdom, and God gave it. Because what is wisdom? Wisdom is something that belongs to the Lord. He is the source. He is the giver of this wisdom. And it says it plainly in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6, where it says that the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding, for he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. And so, as we embark on a number of weeks of learning from the book of Proverbs, we need to warn ourselves right here and right now that we need to guard against this series becoming a group of self-help talks. And so what I'm excited about is that this will be practical. It will be relevant. There will be things that we can do differently and we can act differently and believe differently and be wiser people. Hopefully it will make a difference in how we live our lives. But if we come in and we think, okay, Pastor Andrew's going to tell us what's wise and then I'm going to do what's wise and that's all, then then we've boiled this down to a self-help talk and that's not what wisdom is. Wisdom is the Lord's. It comes from Him. It flows from Him and we receive it. We do not achieve it we receive it. And that needs to be our heart and our mindset as we continue to learn together. So yes, God is a source of wisdom, but it is the fear of God that allows us to tap into that source. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear here speaks to a deep reverence of God and obedience to his ways. It is, it is love, it is awe, it is respect, it is worship, it is obedience, it is kneeling before God. Acknowledging who he is, that is the type of fear that God is looking for. King Solomon certainly had that fear when he asked God for wisdom. We read in 1 Kings that Solomon loved the Lord and that he walked in the ways of David, his father. He was full of of reverence and he was full of obedience. And that mindset and that posture in his life was what allowed God's wisdom to flow to and through him. And so if we were to state this in a way that would would be easy to understand today, I would say this, your wisdom increases as your love of God increases. Your wisdom increases, not when you learn more, not when you listen better, not when you do what pastor says. Your, Your wisdom increases when your love of God increases. This has to be our endeavor or we are going to waste our time. And so if you were to receive anything good and honorable and true and helpful in the next few weeks, it starts with getting right with God. And if you're this morning and you don't think, you don't believe, you don't know for sure that you have a relationship with God, then this will be an impediment. This will be an obstacle to you for having the wisdom that God desires to give to you. And so get right with God today. And once you've gotten right with him, know that that it is this pursuit of love and fear and awe and reverence of God that will ultimately lead to wisdom in your life. Your wisdom increases as your love of God increases. That's not the only thing that the first nine chapters of Proverbs is interested in teaching us. It it really wants to express even more of what wisdom is and what she is like. I say she because another unique aspect of Jewish wisdom literature is that wisdom is often personified as a woman of integrity. And this woman is awesome. Just listen to some of the ways in which wisdom is described and personified in Proverbs chapter 8. I'll start reading in verse 12 for you. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. 
Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles all who govern justly. I love those who love me, says wisdom. And those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me, fulfilling their treasuries. Just one of many passages, and again, those first nine chapters in which wisdom is this woman, and she is full of integrity and uprightness and righteousness, and she is wisdom. And following her and seeking after her and finding her will lead to these wealthy things and these treasuries and being fulfilled in the way that we've been designed to be fulfilled. She is of true substance. She carries with her the blessings of God that, again, fulfill us in the way that we want and that we need. Wisdom goes on to say, as she's describing her credentials here in chapter 8, she goes on to say that she was even there with God at the beginning of creation. The Lord possessed me, she says, at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. Before the beginning of the earth. She was with God in the beginning. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) It sounds very familiar. We just got out of our study on the prologue of John's gospel during the Advent season in which John decided to, when he was writing out the credentials of Jesus, why he was divine. Well, he was the son of God. He uses the exact same language. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, we need to be careful. I'm not saying that wisdom is Jesus. That is not the case at all. But this passage in, in Proverbs 8 gave John the language, gave John the background in which he says, wow, when wisdom is trying to say that she is before creation, when that's part of her credentials, the same thing can be said, and even more so about who Jesus is. Wisdom gave John the language to describe the word in the beginning. And it serves to show that wisdom has always been with God, has always flowed from God, from the very beginning. Lady Wisdom is truly amazing, but she is set against a foe that is named Folly. And where wisdom is upright and true, Folly is personified as a seductress who tempts these young men with the allure of desires and riches that eventually come up empty. This is the way that Folly is described in Proverbs chapter 9, picking up in verse 13. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes the highest seat in the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. She is loud. She is boisterous. She is tempting. She is alluring. But she does not have that substance that wisdom does. And so when wisdom is personified, foolishness or folly is also personified and they're pitted against each other time and time again. And the call to action that Solomon wants us to know is who will you choose? Which way will you go? Will you stay true to wisdom or will you be tempted to follow folly? And if I were to take all of these pictures of wisdom and the seductress folly And to boil it down into a way that our modern minds can easily understand, it would be this meme. (laughs) So we say, Pastor Andrew, did you just boil down the first nine um, chapters of Proverbs into a slightly inappropriate meme on Sunday? And the answer is yes. Yes, I did. Why is that the case? Because this is the language that the book of Proverbs is using. 
There was an allure. There was a temptation. And it's saying folly is not worth following. Okay, we can move on from that meme. Thank you for not leaving up there too long. In fact, if you read through these chapters, you'll notice that there are multiple warnings to these young men against sexual immorality. And there are two levels and two ways in which this is true. There is a a literal sense of obedience in which these young men would be well served. It would be wise for them to remain literally sexually faithful to their wives and to avoid this temptation. And yet, beside all of this literal obedience, you also have the woman Folly, who is a seductress. And there is a greater sense of symbolic obedience to say, do not stray from your wife, but also do not stray from wisdom. She has been there. She will always be there for you. Stay true to her. And the call to action is whose invitation will you follow? Because both wisdom and folly have an invitation. Here is the invitation from wisdom. Proverbs 9, verse 4. Whoever is simple, let him turn and hear. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. That is the invitation of wisdom. And right beside it, using very similar language, we hear the invitation of folly in verse 16. Whoever is simple, let him turn and hear. And to him who lacks sense, she says, Stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Don't listen to wisdom. I have something that is better. She's alluring and she is tempting. And how we respond to these invitations is of the utmost importance. In fact, as Solomon would describe it, it's a matter of life or death. What is the outcome then of following and accepting wisdom's invitation? Verse 11, for by me, says wisdom, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. In wisdom, you have life. And what is the outcome of accepting folly's invitation in verse 18? But he does not know that the dead are there in folly's house, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Strong, strong language used by Solomon. He says there is an invitation and a cry, and you can go to the left or you can go to the right, and you can follow wisdom or you can follow folly. And one path leads to life, and the other path leads to death. I would go so far as saying this, choosing wisdom over foolishness is a matter of life and death. It is that big of a deal. It's a matter of life and death. So we can't approach wisdom as thinking, just knowing the right things, or even obeying or doing the right things. Knowing right from wrong, those are all important. It is a matter of life or death. Now we have to be careful, and this is a good lesson at the very outset of our time in Proverbs, because we can't boil these Proverbs down to a one-for-one promise. That's not the way that they were meant to be read. So when we read wisdom saying, follow me and you will have a long life, it is not saying that if you follow me, you will please God and he will automatically for sure give you many years on this earth. When we have a reading or an understanding or a theology that makes God into some sort of vending machine, where if we do the right thing, he is obligated to give us this, and we have an improper understanding of that. And so Proverbs is not using this as a one-for-one promise. What it is saying is that there will be natural outcomes to living a life of wisdom or living a life of foolishness. And so if you follow the path of wisdom, you will be a living according to the design that God, the Creator, has designed you to live. And, and there will be a natural outcome in which your, your relationships will be healthy. And you will find the fulfillment that you were designed to find. And you will be able to enjoy this life no matter how many years you have on this earth. The natural outcome of wisdom is life-giving. That's the lesson. And again, on the other side of that coin, the opposite is true. That if you choose to follow folly, 
It's not that you have somehow upset God and now he will choose to punish you and make sure that you die at a young age. No, no, no. When you choose to follow folly, the natural outcome of that is that you will burn yourself up. You will fall for things that that look appealing but do not satisfy. You will have self-destructive nature and behaviors to the relationships between you and God. And ultimately, no matter how you live your years here on earth, how many of them you have, they will not be life-giving for you. So Proverbs is not giving this one-for-one promise. They are talking about the natural outcome of the choice that we make to choose to follow wisdom or folly, a choice that is truly a matter of life or death. And this is the reason why choosing wisdom over folly is so important. The stakes are high because this is a matter of worship. The second quote I'd like to share from you uh, from David Hubbard. He says, The choice here is not good conduct versus bad, though that choice is life-shaking. It is at bottom the choice between true worship and false, between Yahweh, whose sovereignty and order make wisdom what she is, and the fatal attractions of immorality and idolatry for whom folly is the pitch woman. This is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of worship. And there is worship language involved in this. If we were to read even more verses from Wisdom's call to enter her house, she uses temple imagery. There are pillars to her house. There are animals that are being sacrificed there. She is saying, come to me in in true worship. Because the temple and the sacrificial system, that is what true worship looked like to to the Jews of that time, to Israel. They were living in that old covenant. They were upholding the law. And so to accept wisdom's invitation was to accept the covenant, to live as God's covenant people, and to worship him truly. This is a matter of worship. And Solomon's story shows this lesson to be true. At the beginning, he loved the Lord. He followed in the ways of David, his father. He was worshiping truly, and the Lord had his wisdom flowing to him continually. And yet, Solomon lost the fear of the Lord. And in the end, he also lost the source of true wisdom. Here's the sad account in 1 Kings 11, verses 3 and 4. It says that Solomon had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. 700 wives and 300 concubines. I'm not sure what he was thinking. And his wives turned away his heart. So sometimes we look at the big number of wives and concubines Solomon had and said, that was the problem. Well, there was probably a lot of problems with it, but that was not the issue. What was the issue? That his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Solomon lost his heart of worship, and therefore he lost his wisdom. And he chose At the end of his reign, at the end of his life, he chose folly over wisdom. And and God's initial promise that we read together was conditional. He told Solomon, I will give you this gift if you will walk in my ways, if you worship me, if you follow me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning and source of our wisdom. And when true worship stopped for Solomon, wisdom stopped as well. Continual fear of the Lord will lead to continual wisdom, and losing the fear of the Lord leads to foolishness, and downfall. And so, church, we are ending right where we began, that the fear or the true worship of God is the beginning or the source of all wisdom. And if we are to be wise, then we must accept the invitation and call of Jesus and worship God 
in spirit and in truth. I want to share one more passage with you. Just a few verses from, in John 4 from Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. And they're having this conversation between where we need to go to have true and right worship. Do we, do we worship in Jerusalem at the temple like the Jews do? Do we go to the high places like the Samaritans do? And Jesus lets us know that neither of those things is important anymore. He says in verse 23, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And we'll, uh, sorry, we'll worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And if we are to be people of wisdom, then we are also needing to be people who worship God in spirit and in truth. Not only does Jesus reveal to us in this passage what true worship is, but he is the one who paves the way for this worship. He is that one true, complete, perfect sacrifice upon the cross. And when he died for our sins, then the veil that was between God's presence and the Holy of Holies and our presence here on earth was torn in two. And so Jesus not only points us to God, he literally paves the way for us to enter the presence of God and to worship him no matter where we are, no matter what we're facing, to worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus is the key to our relationship with God, to our worship of God, and ultimately the key to our wisdom. Have you responded to Jesus in this way? If you want to be a wise person, this is the only place to start. Cast your trust upon Jesus, and he will usher you into true worship and true wisdom of God. And if you've already made that decision, have you examined your heart of worship? Because the path to wisdom does not start with religious action, but with heartfelt reverence and love for God. So as the worship team comes, we're going to sing one final song. I want to leave you all with the first word to the wise. True wisdom is a matter of true worship. True wisdom is a matter of true worship.